Stocks from Smales Goldie and uh, welcome to the second of our podcasts from the tax department. This time we're going to be just about talking about trusts and estate planning. Uh, so trusts are a well-known but probably poorly understood tool for managing wealth and assets. Uh, the use and taxation of trusts can be very complicated and that demands specialist professional advice. So to help find us uh, a lot more about trusts, estates and tax planning, I'm joined by uh, Ben Tim, he's our Director of Capital Taxes. So uh, straight in I guess, so hello Ben, uh, let's begin with the most basic point. What exactly are trusts and how do they work in practice? Uh, well thanks Ian, uh, but essentially a trust is a vehicle used to manage and control assets for trust beneficiaries and consists of a settler, trustees and beneficiaries. In practice, trusts work by a settler putting in selected assets into a trust and setting out in the trust deed, A, who are the trustees and how they should manage the trust assets, and B, who the beneficiaries are and how they should benefit from the trust. Uh, a lot of clients and non-trust professionals sometimes misunderstand trusts, but they are just another separate legal and tax entity uh, akin to a company, in the sense that, well, a company has assets, which also might include a business, uh, directors, shareholders, and also articles of association. The directors manage the company's assets on behalf of the shareholders as set out in the articles of association, just as the trustees manage the trust assets on behalf of the beneficiaries and set out in the trust deed. Right, thanks for that, Ben. So, the next question. Are there any limits on the circumstances in which a trust can be used? Uh, how are they used by your clients and what are the benefits for them? Well, trusts are generally used for a number of reasons, including to control and protect family assets against frivolous beneficiaries and potentially against any bankruptcy, insolvency or divorce claims against beneficiaries. They're also used when a beneficiary is too young to handle their affairs, or if somebody is incapacitated, then a trust can also be useful. Uh, they're also used uh, when a settler wants to pass on assets whilst they're still alive, uh, which cannot manage the inheritance tax exposure of their estate as well as the estate of the next generation. Uh, a settler can be a beneficiary of the trust that he creates, but that's not usually effective for tax purposes. Okay, so what, what types of trust exist and how do they actually differ from each other, Ben? Well, generally, there's two types of trust. Uh, there's discretionary trusts and also life interest trusts that are sometimes called interest in possession trusts. In both cases, the trustee stipulates how the beneficiaries, who are named by the settler, benefit from the trust. But the trustees of discretionary trusts generally have the power to accumulate any trust funds, being income and capital, that they receive each year, and then decide when and how the beneficiaries should benefit from the trust funds within the trust deed. Uh, trustees of life interest trusts do not have any power to accumulate any trust income that they receive, and instead have to pay the trust income out to the life interest beneficiary in accordance with the trust deed. Uh, in both cases, the trustee will stipulate uh, how and when the trust capital should be used to benefit the beneficiaries. So Ben, uh, what, what is the role of the trustee and how do you go about selecting your trustee? Are there any you know, rules about who can actually be a trustee? Well, the settler names the trustees when creating the trustee. There can be a maximum of four individual trustees, but there must be either at least two trustees who are people 
or one trustee if you was in a trustee who was a company. With respect to the roles of the trustees, they have duties and they also have powers as set out in the trustee. The duties of the trustee are the default position of how the trustee should act. In order for the trustees to exercise a power, they all have to agree to exercise that power, otherwise they revert to their duties. For example, in the case of a discretionary trust, the trustees have a duty to accumulate the trust income and the power to pay the income to a trust beneficiary. If the trustees cannot all agree to exercise the power to pay the income to one or more beneficiaries, then they have a duty to accumulate that income. Uh, anyone could be a trustee, including the settler and all the beneficiaries, but as the trustees will all need to agree to exercise the powers as set out in the trustee, consideration should be given to who the trustees are to make sure that they do get along. Uh, typically, we suggest that settlers select two non-professional trustees and one or more professional trustee, i.e. an accountant or a lawyer. Thanks, Ben. So, um, you know, it sounds as quite a few people could be involved in the setting up and administration of the trust. So, you know, what are the costs, you know, the drawbacks and maybe the risks of using trusts, Ben? Well, the cost of a trust depends on the complexity of the structure, but generally there'll be a cost for the advice on the creation of the trust, including which assets to settle, preparation of the trustees and associated documentation, and also compliance costs, including annual costs for preparation of financial statements and tax returns, as well as compliance costs for certain events in relation to trust capital. The main drawback, drawbacks and risks of using a trust are that, well, a settler is generally required to give the assets away indefinitely for it to be effective, and so they must be happy and content that they can continue to support their standard of living if their financial circumstances change in the future, uh, and not just after putting assets into the trust. Uh, another risk is that if the trustees cannot agree to exercise their powers, there'd be further legal costs for the courts to interpret the trustee and how the trust fund should be used. Uh, another further risk is that if the trustee is drafted without the advice on creation of a lawyer who is suitably qualified, then the trustee might not be effective for the purpose it was intended for. So Ben, how can these risks actually be mitigated? Well, the asset protection and tax benefits normally outweigh the costs of using a trust. Uh, but to mitigate the risks, uh, the settler can also prepare what's called a letter of wishes when they prepare the trust deed. And that gives some further guidance on the intention of the trust and how it should be used to benefit the beneficiaries. Uh, the letter of wishes isn't binding on the trustees, but it can help them in agreeing to exercise their powers where they can't otherwise agree. Uh, the use, again, of a suitably qualified um, you know, professionals to advise on the creation and, and, and administration of the trust will also help reduce risks. So, Ben, how are trusts taxed in the UK? Well, there's three taxes to consider when thinking about the taxation of trusts income tax, capital gains tax, and inheritance tax. For income tax purposes, there's usually two tax points. One, when the trustees receive the income on trust assets, such as rental income on their properties or dividend income on stocks and shares. And the second tax point, when the trustees distribute the trust income to the beneficiaries. 
there's two different types of trusts for income tax purposes, and they're both taxed differently, but essentially, once the trust income is paid out to the beneficiaries, the net income position between the trust and the beneficiaries is generally the same as had the beneficiary earn the trust assets personally to receive the income directly. The one caveat to that statement though is that it can be slightly more expensive for a discretionary trust to receive dividend income that is then distributed to beneficiaries. For capital gains tax purposes, the trust is treated as a separate entity and pays capital gains tax at the rate of 28% on residential property gains and 20% on an EVA type of capital gain. They do get an annual exemption of half the individual's annual exemption. So for the current tax year, the individual's annual exemption is £12,000. And so the trustees receive £6,000. For inheritance tax purposes, there's two types of trust. There's a relevant property trust, which is a which are most trusts created since 2006, and non-relevant property trusts, which since 2006 can only be created on death or for disabled persons. The assets of a relevant property trust are subject to a maximum tax charge of 6% every 10 years and on distributions of capital albeit that is subject to an ill rate band of £325,000. The assets of a non-relevant property trust are not treated as being subject to a 6% regime, but are instead treated as being in the estate of the life interest beneficiary, and so may be exposed to inheritance tax of up to 40% on their passing. So given what you just said about the last example, where it was a tax-neutral situation, uh, are there any actual tax benefits of using a trust? Well, the main tax benefit of using a trust usually relates to inheritance tax, and then the main non-tax benefit relates to the settler's control over the capital once they're given the capital away. Inheritance tax is primarily a death duty charged at the rate of 40% on a deceased person's estate, which includes all assets, less liabilities, but also includes gifts of capital made in the previous seven years. While a settler transfers an asset to a trust and survives for more than seven years, the value of that asset falls outside of their estate. And so the inheritance tax exposure of the settler's estate may reduce by up to 40%, subject to any lifetime charges on creating a settlement. The assets are also then outside of the estate of the next generation for the inheritance tax exposure of their estate and the settler also gets to retain a degree of control over the capital as set out in the trust deed. The income tax position is usually neutral once the income is paid out from the trust to the beneficiary, although there might be an opportunity to defer income to beneficiaries with tax-free personal allowances or lower rate tax plans that are available. The capital gains tax position is usually marginally worse on the sale of the assets given the restriction to the annual exemption, but you can take steps to improve the position before the sale of an asset. There is a capital gains tax benefit, however, in that whilst the gift of an asset, such as a rental property, to the trust is treated as a market value disposal for the settler's capital gains tax purposes, it's possible for the settler to defer the capital gains tax charge until there's a subsequent disposal of that property by the trustees. If the rental property was given directly to the next generation without the use of a trust, 
it would not be possible to defer the capital gains tax charge and the person giving the asset away would be charged to capital gains tax on having made a market value disposal. Okay then Ben, so now can you just tell me a little bit more about how trusts are used as part of the succession planning process? Well, that question is best answered with an example. Uh, so let's assume that dad, age 70, has a son and a daughter. Daughter is married with young children, has her own business and doesn't really need any funds from dad. Daughter is a 45% income taxpayer and her children do not have any income. Son is married, no children and is a full-time house husband. Son is quite frivolous and dad doesn't like daughter-in-law. Dad has a residential or rental property, doesn't need the income to maintain his living standard and wants to manage the exposure of his estate to inheritance tax. The rental property cost £200,000 and is worth £300,000. And so the unrealised capital gain on the property is therefore £100,000. If that did nothing, the property would be charged to inheritance tax of up to £120,000, being the £300,000 market value times 40%. But the property would be reversed for the legatees capital gains tax purposes. And so the unrealised £100,000 capital gain is eliminated and the legatees capital gains tax costs of the property becomes £300,000. If dad gave the property to son and daughter without the use of a trust, then for capital gains tax purposes, he'll be treated as making a market value disposal. And so the £100,000 unrealised capital gain will be charged to capital gains tax of up to £28,000. If dad survived seven years from making the gift, then the inheritance tax exposure of his estate would reduce by £120,000, being the market value of £300,000 times 40%. And so the net capital tax saving at that point is £92,000, being the inheritance tax saved of £120,000 less the £28,000 capital gains tax paid. If dad didn't survive for more than seven years from the time of the gift, then the gift will still be charged to inheritance tax in his, in his estate. So there is an element of double taxation, as dad would have paid the £28,000 capital gains tax on gift, and his estate would still be due to pay inheritance tax of up to £120,000. The asset is also then in the estate of the children, which might be subject to inheritance tax of 40% in their estate, subject to the value of the other assets, and it might also be subject to claims for financial difficulties and divorce of son and daughter, which might be a concern for dad if son is frivolous and if dad doesn't like daughter-in-law. And then the income will be received and charged to income tax on the new asset earners, and so in the case of daughter, her share of the rental profit will be charged at 45% income tax on receipt. So if dad did put the property into a trust, 
then dad can defer the £28,000 capital gains charge until the trustee's subsequent disposal of the property. Although by doing this, it does forego the capital gains tax reversed opportunity that would have applied if dad retained the asset until his passing. If dad survived seven years from making the gift, then the inheritance tax exposure of his estate would again reduce by £120,000. At that point, until the property is disposed of, the capital tax saving is £120,000 as the £28,000 capital gains tax charge is deferred. If the property was to ever be sold, it would be possible to transfer the property from the trust to a number of beneficiaries to a defer the capital gains tax charge until the beneficiaries sale of the property and b enable a number of beneficiaries to each utilize their capital gains tax-free annual exemptions against the capital profit on disposal so this can help manage the family's overall exposure to capital gains tax on a sale of the property if that didn't survive for more than seven years from the time of the gift then the gift will still be charged to inheritance tax and dad's estate but as the capital gains tax charge was deferred on gifting the property to a trust the element of double taxation is potentially avoided and then finally the asset is then not on the estate of the children and so the property will not be subject to inheritance tax of 40% in their estate there might be an element of capital protection against claims for financial difficulties and divorce to the beneficiaries, which dad might like the sound of if son is frivolous and if dad doesn't like daughter-in-law. Then finally, the trustees will be in receipt of the income rather than son and daughter. This then gives the family the opportunity to divert daughter's share of the rental profit to her children to utilise their tax-free personal allowances. Daughter's family exposure to income tax on the rental profits would then reduce by the 45% that would be due had she received the rental profit. Well, thanks for all your insight, Ben. I mean, it's clear to me that trusts have a real part to play, uh, but the important issue, as always, is to take the right advice from the start. Uh, as well as Ben, uh, here at Smells Goldie, we've got another 14 people involved in trusts. Uh, in the business and a num that number includes two of our team, well one of which is Ben, who are members of the Society of uh, Trusts and Estate Practitioners. So uh, clearly an awful lot of expertise. Uh, so if you want to know more, please contact Ben at our Hull office and all of our details can be found on our website, which is www.smailsgoldie.co.uk. Thank you. Mm -hmm.